All right, hello, Christ community. Uh, welcome to all of our campuses, those of you at 15th Street and at West Campus, our traditions venue. So glad all of you are here. Um, just want to say next week, uh, we're starting a new teaching series right out of the book of Luke, chapter 11, where the disciples ask Jesus to teach them how to pray. And so we're going to be spending a few weeks there looking at uh, the Jesus words and about how to grow in our prayer life. I'm really, really excited about what God is going to do in us um, in that series. So that starts next week. So today we are finishing up a teaching series entitled Friend of Jesus. In this series, we have been talking about how we can cultivate a deep, intimate friendship with Jesus. Now, the word friendship is not usually a word that we use when we talk about our relationship with Jesus, but it is absolutely biblical. When, when talking to his disciples about the kind of relationship that he longed for with them, Jesus often used the word friend. Jesus longs to experience a friendship with us. But, this is really important, it is not an automatic thing. It is not something that every Christ follower automatically experiences. A friendship with Jesus is something that must be cultivated. There are certain practices, certain heart postures that enable us to experience this kind of relationship with him. And so in this series, we've been discovering what those things are by looking closely at an example of someone who experienced this kind of, of relationship with Jesus. And what makes this example so powerful is that this person is not some super spiritual saint in the Bible. No, this person is a very ordinary person like you and me. Her name is Mary. We don't know a lot about her, except that she and her sister Martha lived in the town of Bethany. And we also know that Jesus visited them there at least three different times. So Mary and Martha both have a relationship with Jesus. They both know him personally. But in these interactions with Jesus, it is very clear that there is something qualitatively different about Mary's relationship with Jesus compared to Martha's. In the first interaction that Mary and Martha have with Jesus, as described in Luke chapter 10, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, we saw how Martha was focused on doing things for Jesus. She was stressed out about all the meal preparation that had to be made. She was angry that her, her sister Mary wasn't helping. So what was Mary doing? Mary was focused on Jesus. She was enjoying his presence, and she was listening to his voice. Both of those things are characteristics of a friend of Jesus. And so in, we talk, in this series, we talked about the importance of, of taking time to, to delight in Jesus and also taking time to hear his voice. Well, we then looked at another passage, second passage, that describes Mary and Martha's relationship with Jesus, and that's in John chapter 11. And in this, in this passage, Mary and Martha have just experienced a personal tragedy. Their brother Lazarus had died, and when Jesus comes on the scene, when he's on the, in, in, in the village, they both express their disappointment to, to Jesus in him not being there when their brother died when they needed him. But Mary does so. She talks to Jesus. She comes to Jesus in a way that's very vulnerable. She opens her heart to Jesus. She's weeping before him. And Jesus' heart is moved. He is moved to tears. And so we talked about how a friendship with Jesus involves um, a, a, a deepening level of vulnerability with Jesus, opening our heart to him, being real, not 
pretending, being real. Now, the reason that I'm summarizing these past few weeks is because there seems to be a progression in Mary's friendship with Jesus. It starts with delight and listening to him. She's getting to know him, and then she trusts him enough to be vulnerable, to open her heart in a vulnerable way. But there is one more interaction with Jesus that happens between Jesus and Mary. And in a very real sense, it is the ultimate mark of genuine friendship with Jesus. The, the delighting in Jesus and the listening to Jesus and the being vulnerable with Jesus all lead to this beautiful and powerful response to Jesus that we see in John chapter 12. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, feel free to turn to John chapter 12. Let me read the beginning of this passage. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' home. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Okay, so Jesus is once again in the home of Mary and Martha. This is, this is um, after the interaction in Luke chapter 10. It's after the interaction in John chapter 11. This one takes place six days before the Passover. Now, this is significant because it means that Jesus' death is imminent. That This would be the Sunday before Jesus is crucified. And Jesus clearly knows this, as we'll see from a comment that he makes a bit later in the passage when he refers to his upcoming burial. Jesus knows that his death is coming. He is headed to Jerusalem to die on a cross. He's not running away from this reality, but he's actually moving towards it for that's why he came right to redeem us through the through, through his death and resurrection so so with that with all of this coming up just in a few days it's no surprise that jesus stops in to be with these dear people in his life he longs for community he longs for fellowship now, when Jesus arrives, um, they, they want to provide a meal for him in his honor. And they're just so thankful for him, for all he's done for them. I mean, John tells us here that Lazarus is actually reclining at the table. This is the Lazarus, Mary and Martha's brother, who died in John chapter 11. He died. He was dead for four days. And then Jesus came and he, he, he raised him to life. And so imagine the gratitude and the, and the joy all of them feel toward Jesus. I mean, no wonder they want to honor him with a meal. And we're also told here that Martha served. She served the meal. No surprise there, right? Serving is Martha's way to express her appreciation to Jesus, which she was doing in Luke 10. We see it here again, and that is great. I've had a few um, conversations with some of you who, just during this series, who have kind of come to Martha's defense a little bit, um, acknowledging that she probably had a different personality than Mary, and she was perhaps more <clears throat> wired for intellectual conversation and for doing and all that which certainly could be the case. It really could be. <clears throat> my, my point in this series is that even if we're wired like Martha, and that's totally okay to be wired like Martha, even if we're wired like Martha, we can still cultivate the heart of Mary. Because there is something very beautiful about Mary's relationship with Jesus, not only in what we've seen to this point, but also in what we're about to witness. Look with me at the next verse, verse 3. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So 
So in the midst of all the activity and the laughter and the conversation happening around the table, Mary slips out of the room and she grabs an item that is very precious to her. It's a bottle of perfume, a very expensive perfume. We find out later in the passage that this bottle of perfume is worth a year's wages, a year's wages. And I thought buying perfume at Macy's was expensive. But seriously, this is some expensive stuff. So this perfume is worth thousands and thousands of dollars in today's economy. Thousands of dollars. Some scholars speculate, we don't know this, but they speculate that this perhaps was Mary's dowry. What she would be able to financially bring into her marriage one day. So Mary takes this very prized possession, not just financially, but all that it represents. She takes this very prized possession and she walks over to Jesus' feet. Jesus was reclining at the table, which means that his feet would have been away from the table. And so she kneels at his feet and she begins to pour this bottle of perfume on his feet. And then we're told that she began to wipe his feet with her hair, which means that she had to let her hair down, which was, in that culture, that was a shameful thing for a woman to do. It represented a woman of loose morals, which Mary was not, but Mary didn't care about appearances. She was focused on Jesus. John tells us that the fragrance of the perfume filled the room. Conversation stopped as people became aware of what was happening suddenly into this very ordinary moment around a dinner table. Mary was responding to Jesus in a way that was fairly shocking and unsettling for some. Mary was giving to Jesus one of her most prized possessions, pouring on his feet something that had significant value to her. So why? Why did she do this? What was it that moved her to offer to Jesus such a valuable possession? It wasn't guilt, and it wasn't some religious ritual, and it wasn't peer pressure. I mean, no one else was doing this, right? This wasn't peer pressure. Clearly, there is one motivating factor in her actions, one primary heart response, and that is love. As Mary thinks about who Jesus is, And what he has done for her, as she gazes upon her brother Lazarus sitting at the table, knowing he would be dead without Jesus. As Mary ponders the wonder of who Jesus is and what he has taught her and what he has done for her personally, she can't help but want to express that to him. And not in a superficial or trivial way, you know, a quick thank you note or whatever. No, no, no. She wants to express Um, She wants her expression of love to reflect the impact that he has had upon her life. And so she finds this very expensive bottle of perfume, a bottle that is perhaps reserved for her wedding day or that maybe is set aside to help um, provide income for her and her sister. She takes this perfume and she lavishly pours it on Jesus' feet. As an expression of love. She is expressing her love and appreciation for who Jesus is in a profound way. And in doing so, she vividly shows us the ultimate heart response of a true friend of Jesus. And that is a reckless, extravagant 
sacrificial love. This is not about comfort. This is not about playing it safe. This is about a heart that longs to find some appropriate way to express her appreciation. And she does so with total joy and abandonment. It's, it, it's, it's powerful. I mean, for, the, for me, this passage is, is both beautiful and honestly a bit unsettling. Why is it unsettling, you may ask? Here's why. Because this passage forces us to compare our love to hers. It, 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 that's, it just forces us to compare our love to hers. Here, here, here is a woman whose response to Jesus so powerfully and obviously and unashamedly communicates how much she loves Jesus. And it makes me wonder... What do our lives communicate about the depth of our love for Jesus? What, is, what does my life communicate about how much Jesus means to me? Does my life unashamedly, obviously, vividly communicate the same kind of reckless, extravagant, sacrificial love that, Mary's demons, that Mary demonstrated? And if not, why not? If not, why not? Mary is experiencing the same Jesus as you and me. So why does her love for Jesus seem qualitatively different than ours? Now, before we try and answer that too fully, I want us to continue in this passage because there's another person in the story that I think is going to help us answer this question as well, these questions as well. My, while Mary is expressing her love to Jesus in this extravagant way, there is another person in the room who is very upset about what Mary is doing. Look with me, beginning of verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray Jesus, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Okay, so in the midst of this fragrant moment with Mary, beautifully expressing her love to Jesus, Judas offers a loud objection, a very pragmatic, very practical response. He is upset that Mary would waste this expensive perfume on Jesus. He declares that money could have been used to help the poor, right? That money could have, been, could have helped a lot of people, but instead it's being wasted on Jesus' feet. Now, the problem with Judah's statement here is that he didn't have any integrity in making it, right? John tells us that everyone knew that Judas didn't care about the poor. What he cared about was money. He hated to see money, that much money, used in this way as a thank you to Jesus. He wanted the money for himself. He was keeper of the money back. John tells us he often helped himself to whatever was in there. He was, he was a thief. See, the, the irony here, this is really, really important. The irony here is that we, we actually, in this passage, we have two people whose love for Jesus is vividly on display. That's what we have. We have two people whose love for Jesus is vividly on display. On one hand, we have Mary freely demonstrating her appreciation and love for Jesus with complete abandonment. She doesn't care what people think. think. She doesn't care what it costs in her mind. 
In her mind, no gift would be too valuable to give to Jesus because of who he is and what he's done for her. No gift would be too valuable. That's on one hand. And on the other hand, we have Judas, whose own greed and self-centeredness move him to vehemently object to the extravagance of Mary's gift. His lack of love for Jesus is vividly on display. And Jesus totally calls him on it. Verse 7, leave her alone, Jesus replied. Defending Mary, which is awesome here. Jesus defending this woman that people are critical of. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Jesus rebuked Judas not for his concern for the poor. No, Jesus rebukes Judas for the fact that he completely missed the value of who Jesus is. That's the issue. This isn't about ledgers and accounting and appropriately divvying up resources to people in need. No, 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 no. This is a heart issue. Jesus is totally affirming Mary's reckless, extravagant demonstration of love and gratitude. It was not a waste at all because it was given to Jesus and he is totally worth it. Right? I mean, is there any gift... Is there any demonstrable expression of love that we could offer Jesus that he would somehow not be worthy of? No. There's not. And Mary understood that. I mean, her, her vision of Jesus, her understanding of Jesus, her appreciation for Jesus were, were at such a level that anything less than what she did wouldn't have fully expressed her heart. I mean, in a very real sense, she gave everything she had and she did so freely, joyfully, willingly, all because of her love for Jesus. All because of her gratitude to Jesus for what he had done. So let's go back to those two questions we asked just a moment, a couple minutes ago. Now that we have both Judas and Mary in, in the picture here, here's the question, a couple questions. Does our life unashamedly, obviously, vividly communicate the same kind of reckless, sacrificial, extravagant love that Mary demonstrated? And if not, why not? See, this is where we live, isn't it? Somewhere between Mary and Judas. This is where we live, between Mary and Judas. And if we're honest, I think we more often lean significantly closer to Judas than Mary. Now, why, why do I say that? We could, because many of us, actually probably all of us here, struggle at times with the same exact heart issue that Judas had, a love for money. The thought of an extravagant, over-the-top, sacrificial gift to Jesus, like a year's wages, right? That, that thought probably doesn't come across our mind. It doesn't come across our radar very often. We're not usually trying to think of ways we can give to him over and above, you know, in, 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 than, than what would be expected or reasonable. We're not usually going there. And the question, I think the question is, why is that? 
Well, why is that? Why don't we go? Why, why aren't we thinking about that? We're, we're okay expressing our love to Jesus in a worship service, maybe even raising our hands, you know, a little bit. Some of us might even consider dancing before him, all of which are, you know, somewhat extravagant kind of expressions of love in our culture. Absolutely. But when it comes to money, when it comes to the thought of us giving to Jesus some over-the-top kind of financial gift, that's, that's not something that we think about much. So again, why is that? It goes back to the heart. That's why. It goes back to the heart. For Judas, his heart was focused on the value of money to him personally, how it provided security and nice things. See, for Mary, her heart was focused on Jesus. Her, her heart was filled with this overwhelming appreciation to Jesus for all that he had done for her. See, when, when that was what filled her heart, that love for Jesus, when that was what filled her heart, her money, her possessions simply became a way to further express to Jesus her love. They were just a way to, to further express her love. See, Mar Mary's response to Jesus here was not the result of having heard some sermon on tithing. Um, her response was not motivated by some biblical challenge to step out in faith and be more generous. No, no, no. Mary's extravagant gift to Jesus was solely motivated by her love and gratitude to Jesus. So when we think about this question of our hearts being more like Judas or, or Mary, I think we've got to view this through the lens of gratitude, right? We have to from this passage. There are other reasons to give other places, but here we've got to do, view it through the lens of, of, of gratitude. How much do we value what Jesus has done for us? How much do we value what Jesus has done for us? How, how grateful are we for who he is and all that he has brought into our lives? See, when our hearts are filled with that kind of love and that level of appreciation for Jesus, we start looking at our money and our things very differently. When our heart is filled with love for Jesus, we just start looking at our things and our money very differently. They're, they're, they're not things that we hang on to in order to feel more secure and happy. Our, our security and our happiness are in Christ. Our love for him is greater than any possession we have. You know, when Jesus said, and he said this a couple times, one in Matthew, when he said, you can't serve God and money, he totally nailed the issue, right? He nailed the, the condition of our heart, the, the, the battle of our hearts. When we are loving money, we aren't loving God. And when we are loving God, we aren't loving money. Our heart, our heart has room for only one of these two loves. And Mar Mary's on one side of this and Judas is on the other. And in, in our hearts, we're somewhere in between, Right? We, 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 are, we are in the battle in between. And I use the word battle very intentionally. There is a war going on for our hearts and the stakes are incredibly high. Now, why do I say they're incredibly high? Remember when someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest, most important commandment? So I was like, if you miss everything else, don't miss this commandment. Remember what that commandment was? Love God with all your heart. Love God with all your heart. That's what Mary was doing, right? Her heart was in love with Jesus, and that impacted how she handled her possessions. So what does how we handle our possessions and our money say about our love for Jesus? 
That's the question, right? What does how we handle our money and our possessions say about our love for Jesus? Studies reveal, consistently reveal, that Christians, people claiming to be Christians, on average give, and we're going to get kind of specific, but on average, Christians give about 2.7% of their income away. That's to any church, any charities, all of it. Just you put it all together, it's 2.7% on average. To any cost. So, so think about that. 2.7 of our income, percent of our income we give away. 97% we spend on ourselves. So in light of that little data, it's, you know, scientific data, research has, has done this, many, many studies show it. So in light of that data, and also then in light of this passage, I want to pose, I want to pose this question. What does that say about our love for Jesus? What does that say about our love for Jesus? Now, I want to put this in, let's put this in playground terms, okay? Playground terms. Let's say you're on the playground and you have a hundred Skittles, okay? You have a hundred Skittles and a kid that you don't know, you don't know this kid, but he comes up to you playing on the playground. He comes up to you and he says, hey, can I have some Skittles? How many would you give him? Maybe two or three, right? Maybe nothing wrong with that. You don't know this person, two or three would be totally appropriate, right? But now let's say, another scenario, let's say it's your best friend who asks you for some Skittles. And this is the friend who on many days when you weren't able to bring a lunch because your family, there was no food in your house, this friend gave you half of their sandwich and half of their chips, and, and then this is the this is the friend that, that when you didn't have a pair of gloves gave you his. And this is the friend that stood up for you when that bully was trying to beat you up. So today he looks at your skittles and says, Hey, can I have some? What's the appropriate response? What response would reflect your appreciation and value of him? Would giving him two or three and keeping 98 for yourself, would that be an appropriate expression of your value of him? I mean, do any of us here think that would be appropriate? No. I mean, if we gave our friend two or three Skittles, what would that say about how much or how little we truly value this person? So if we can understand this in playground terms, if we can understand this in Skittle language, we can totally get how it applies to our lives. What does our level of generosity say about our level of love and appreciation for Jesus? Now, please hear me. I do not, I, I'm not, I don't want to get into specific percentages as if there's one percentage out there that sort of qualifies for this kind of love and extravagant. I'm not, I'm not going there because <laughs> it's not about that. This is a, totally a heart issue. It's totally a heart issue. And the heart question is, does our generosity reflect a passionate, grateful heart toward Jesus? That's the question. Now, I realize that, that someone may be saying, well, aren't you taking this Mary story a little beyond the original intent? I don't think so, especially with Judas in the story. I mean, there is a clear connection made in John 12 between love for Jesus and love for money. 
But actually, this principle is not just articulated in John chapter 12. There's this fascinating passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 where Paul, he's writing to the Corinthians, and he actually wants to motivate them. He wants to help motivate them to grow in generosity. And so here's how he motivates them. First of all, at the start of this, this chapter, he tells them a story. He tells them a true account of these, these believers in Macedonia, an area, another region. And they, these people were in the midst of extreme poverty. I mean, they were struggling. And, and, and yet they heard about this need. And so they pray, they begged Paul for the opportunity to give to this work of Jesus. I mean, they were so in love with Jesus, even in their, their poverty circumstances, they were so in love with Jesus that they begged for the opportunity. They desperately wanted to give even more than they were able. That's how Paul describes it. They begged for the chance to give. See, they, they were just like Mary. This is a Mary response, right? So Paul tells the Corinthians this story. And then he says something that's really fascinating. Look, look at this verse. But since you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and the love you've, we've kindled in you. So they're doing well spiritually in so many areas, right? Since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And notice what he says. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Do, do you hear what he's saying there? He's not saying, hey, you guys need to give more because that's what Christians are supposed to do. So buck up and give more. Come on. That's not what he's saying. He says, look, I am not commanding you to give. This is not a command. I'm not commanding you to give. This is not a guilt thing. But he says, I do want you to grow in generosity. Why? Because look again, look again at what he said in verse 8. I want to test the sincerity of your love for Jesus by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Very interesting. He's talking about testing the sincerity of their love by looking at their generosity. The depth of our love for Jesus is evidenced by our level of generosity toward Jesus. That's what he's saying. Again, this is ultimately a heart issue. This is not a money issue. This is a heart issue. What does our level of generosity say about our love for Jesus? That's a really hard question. And yet it's a really important question because we talked about most important commandment, all these things that are at stake. It's a really important question. So let's say we're asking this question. And as we're asking this question, we are, we're realizing, man, this, this, this is a struggle. I'm more like Judas than Mary. What, what do I do with that? This is not about beating ourselves up. It is not. It is not about condemnation. It's about something else Entirely, And Mary, as well as Paul, in 2 Corinthians, shows us exactly what that is. Look, look at what Paul says in the very next verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. See, notice how Paul starts that. You know his grace. That word know that he's using there, it speaks of experiential knowledge, not head knowledge. He's not saying, you guys know all the information about grace. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you know, you have personally experienced the grace of Jesus, just like Mary. And just like the Macedonian believers Paul talked about who were begging for the opportunity to give because they love Jesus so much, you have personally experienced the extravagant, sacrificial grace and love of Jesus for you. So Paul says, look afresh at this Jesus. Look at him 
Look afresh at him. Look afresh at this incredible Savior who is yours and who has given so much to you and has extended so much grace to you. When that, here's the point, when that love fills our hearts, when, when that love of Jesus is the focus of our gaze, we want to respond to him in extravagant ways. We can't help it. <laughs> when that kind of love, just like Mary, when that love is the focus of our gaze, we want to respond to him in extravagant ways. Our hearts move us. We want to, and we, we can't help it because his love is that powerful. It is all about our hearts and our love for Jesus. So let's, let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, and that's so challenging. Thank you that you are a generous God. You are so generous to us. And we're so thankful for Mary and the friendship that she gives evidence to in delighting in you and listening to you and being vulnerable with you. And now this final chapter where... She expresses her love in such a reckless, amazing, sacrificial, generous way. And we acknowledge that as we look at this passage, it does, in a sense, force us to compare our love with hers. And then we have Judas on the scene as well. And so we, we, we find ourselves in the midst of these two responses. And again, this isn't, we know this is about the heart but we honestly want to look at our lives in light of the scripture. So help us do that. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to just practice, um, just respond in a very practical way in prayer. Here's what I want, want you to do. Back before I describe this, let me just remind you, if you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus, maybe you're an atheist, you're an agnostic or whatever, please feel no pressure to, to go through this prayer that I'm talking about here. Um, no pressure at all. We're just thrilled you're here. And you can just kind of sit back and chill. But if you're a believer in Jesus, I want to encourage you. Let's, let's pray. Let's just pray about this. And I want to do, I want to lead you to do this in a very specific way. So what I want you to do, just if your eyes are not closed, go ahead and close your eyes. And I want you to place yourself in this story we just read. So you're seated around a dinner table with Jesus. And as you're sitting there, I want you to think about who he is in your life and all that he has done for you. So think about his salvation, his forgiveness. But not only that, think about what Jesus maybe has done in your life lately, specific ways in which his grace has been poured out. His faithfulness has been demonstrated. His love has been lavished upon you. Just just. Think about all that Jesus has done for you and, and let this sense of appreciation and gratitude fill your heart. So we're just going to take a couple moments here. Just go ahead and in your mind, just imagine Jesus at the table and you're gazing upon him. What, what is filling your heart towards him?
So as this appreciation and love for Jesus is filling our hearts, let's just ask Jesus, how can I more fully express to you my love and gratitude? How can I more fully express my love and gratitude for you and to you? Just ask him that and then just kind of listen to what he might say to you. So Jesus, we, we ask that you would give us the heart of Mary. Give us the heart of Mary. This love that is so vibrant and real, just such an appreciation for you that supersedes any other love, including our love for money and things. We want the heart of Mary. And we pray that you would help us grow in that love so that we would have the freedom to express that love to you in any number of ways. Because you are worthy of all of that. You're worthy of all of that. We love you so much. Thank you, Lord. So what we want to do as part of, again, we're big on response here. So as part of our response, as we've been just being with Jesus and listening to him and responding, what we're going to do is um, I want you just to stay in that place. You'll remain seated where you are. For this first song, we want the, the worship team is going to be singing kind of a song over us that's, that was written based on this passage. And we want these words just to express our heart's longing and, and that Jesus even now could be answering that prayer, give us, the heart of, give us the heart of Mary, that Jesus would be answering that as we're just in his presence, letting them sing over us. And at some point, Pastor Daniel will invite us to, to join um, and begin singing, to stand and all of that. But initially, we just want to be in Jesus' presence and let these words express the longing and desire of our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to do that now. Thank you, Lord.